All right? And then finally, I just want to say that one of the blessings of being a part of a church community is, is the wealth of perspectives and voices that we have to learn from. And I'm so grateful, especially in the last three or four years, the, the team of folks who are equipped and, and willing and devoting the time that is necessary to bring a teaching to our community is growing. And we've just got some really gifted speakers and um, teachers amongst us. And uh, I need to learn. Um, and we need to learn from a variety of people in this community because there's so many who are having these fantastic experiences of submitting their life to the Lord and watching him lead and have put in um, the, the, uh, the, the time and the energy to sort of articulate that experience in words. So would you welcome with me Melissa Lester? She's our teacher for this morning. Melissa and Rich have been part of our community for years. Uh, Rich serves on staff executive director, and they have a couple of children, and we're so grateful that you're here. Yeah, thank yeah. you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Um, it's so, I just appreciate the opportunity so much, especially given um, every week I come and I hear amazing sermons by our pastor. Isn't that right? And so, Nate, we just, I just want to take a moment to appreciate you and thank you for all the work you put into it. When I do it every once in a while here, I'm like, oh, this is crazy. I can't believe it does it every week. But anyway, um, it's always excellent. So we appreciate your leadership. Um, I'm very excited today, guys. I'm very honored to share with you because I do feel and believe that God has given me something to offer you today and that he has been speaking to me. And so before I dive into our passage, I just want to kind of recap a little bit because we are in a series, Empty to be Filled, and we've been going through um, these chapters in Matthew, and I just want to kind of recap what Pastor Nate was talking about last week. Uh, Jesus, a few chapters back from where we're at now, preached the Sermon on the Mount, which we know is his, among his most famous words that he ever spoke. And for several chapters after that, we see miracle after miracle. We see these life-changing encounters that Jesus is having with the people that he is coming in contact with. And all of these miracles and all of this power is a display of his authority. And that authority is key to what I'm even going to be talking about today. It's very foundational. So those who got it, those who got it like the leper as Pastor Nate was talking about last week, and the Roman centurion, those who got the authority of Jesus, they encountered him in an even more powerful way. Wouldn't you agree than those who were oblivious to it? And I strongly encourage you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last Sunday, to go and listen to that message um, online and to not miss a message in this series. It's so, so important for this Lenten time to engage in that. So I want to read... Um, in Matthew, and if you have the Bible here, it's page 680, and let's see here. It's Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Um, I kind of laughed when the Sunday that I was preaching landed on this passage. Um, you guys kind of have to bear with me because I feel like every time I get up here and talk, I'm talking about like the time Jesus called Peter the devil 
And, you know, he said, the time he said, deny yourself, and it's always, like, so intense. I'm like, Pastor Nate, next week you're preaching on, like, Peter walking on the water. That's, like, happy and fun, and I get these really intense passages. But, um, but you will see that it is beautiful. You will see that it's beautiful. So let's pray as we dive into these um, verse by verse. Father, God, we love you. We want to submit our hearts to you in every way. We want to love you in every way and be led by you in every way. God, give us our, expand our capacity this morning. Give us ears to hear. Lord, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is displaying his power and authority, right? With miracles and miracles. Miracles abound, lives are changed, his following is growing, he has momentum, the crowds are growing, and then this exchange that we just read, it takes place. So let's go back to verse 19. When a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And this, just keep in mind, is a teacher of the law. They don't have the greatest reputation in the Gospels, right? They are often challenging Jesus and plotting against Jesus. So this is an unlikely convert. And what does Jesus say? I think what's interesting is what he doesn't say, because you would think like, yeah, this is like a tough nut to crack. We got one, you know, let's rope them in. But what Jesus doesn't say is, welcome. I'm so glad you've made this life-changing decision to follow me. God will richly bless your life. Let me clearly lay out for you what is next so you always know what to expect. And let me specifically outline for you some spiritual strategies so you can preemptively head off challenges before they come. We'll get you taken care of. Welcome to the family. He doesn't say that. Not that that would really even be a bad thing to say, right? But that's not what he says. He says in classic Jesus form you know, where you think he's changing the subject or um, he seems to go off topic or whatever, but he gets down to the heart, right? He says, foxes and dens have birds, I mean, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I, the son of man, have no place to lay my head. So in other words, Jesus is saying, are you sure? You want to follow me everywhere I go. You say that you want to follow me, and it's easy to want to follow the miracles and the big crowds and the momentum, but following me may cost you your most basic and expected securities. And I don't think this teacher of the law even realized where Jesus was going. The disciples didn't realize where Jesus was really going at this time. That hints of it. Jesus was going to places like Gethsemane, where he would sweat blood, And Golgotha, where he would die. He was going to the tomb. And Jesus was giving him the opportunity, in essence, to count the cost. And I think this is very difficult for us to understand sometimes in our current time, the place we live in. And the reality for most of us, if not all of us, is that this isn't practically lived out in a real way. When I was 15... I traveled to uh, Hong Kong in China, and I had this amazing uh, missions experience, and I got to smuggle Bibles into China on four different occasions. It was crazy. My parents let me do this when I was 15. Um, (laughs) Now when you're a parent, you're like, what? Um, (laughs) 
Anyway, I, and one of these times I went, I had this amazing opportunity to meet a man by the name of Samuel Lam. He's a pastor in China, famous pastor. And um, he was telling us the story. There's a picture of him if you guys want to go and put that up. He was telling a story of, um, of his persecution experiences. And his church was unregistered um, with the government, which is completely illegal. So there's about a congregation of 400 people, which is extremely large at this time for a church in China. And the government came and they did this massive confiscation of everything and tried to shut it down. Well, then it grew to 800 people. And then they put them in a coal mine Two separate occasions for a total of 20 years. These coal mine work labor camps, the life expectancy is four months. And he survived over 20 years in a coal mine labor camp. And each time they would do these major persecutions to try to shut it all down, his church would grow 400 more people. And that, this picture right here, that is in this building. It's a little tiny building not much bigger than this that they cram at least four to five hundred people in a service and they all sit on benches you know that are like this wide and it's tiny little benches tiny tiny little people and um and the amazing thing about going and hearing him talk was his mantra his life verse was a verse out of revelation chapter two and it's be faithful even unto death it was printed on everything. He had these like little business cards and little folded up, you know, like it was printed off, folded up and stapled testimony that he handed out. And that was it. Be faithful unto death. So the, church, the government at some point kind of gave up on all these persecution efforts because they're like, every time we do this, it just grows 400 more people. And they began to loosen up a little bit. And then even though they kept pursuing him to become a registered church and adopt state doctrine. Doesn't that sound like fun? Um, and so he began to have some pretty famous visitors, uh, like Reverend Billy Graham, who we all know just passed this week, um, people like President Ronald Reagan and President Bush Sr. came to visit him. And so they kind of like let up on him, and he was able to just tell his testimony. He was able to give his life Oh, I love it so much. His life verse, his life message, which is persecution is good. It builds the church. Can you even imagine? I can't imagine. But what's funny, and I love this picture so much because I wish I was in it. We didn't really do selfies back then. But um, <laughs> this is, it's, I'm going to be 38 this week, you guys. It's like crazy to even think about. See that photo bomber, that crazy American teenager photo bomber in the back? That's a guy by the name of David Joannes. And he was obviously, we're on that trip together. He's still a dear friend to this day. And on that trip, God called him to China. He graduated from high school. And a few years after that, he moved there supernaturally in six months, learned Mandarin Chinese. And he goes into all these hill tribes, and he is responsible for training hundreds of pastors at this point. They baptize people in bathtubs, you guys. They, there's like videos of fervently worshiping Christians uh, in little living rooms, and it's just amazing. But he, not as severely, thank God, as Samuel Lamb, 
you know, there's significant persecution and rejection for he, his wife, and his child. So I'm always challenged by that, and I'm reminded that following Jesus may cost us our most basic securities. And that's really what was happening here in this passage and what Jesus was saying. So let's continue on to verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So when I kind of looked this up, because it's kind of weird, you know, let the dead bury their own dead and all that. It's a little odd. So scholars kind of believe that two, one of two things was happening here. It's very unclear the specifics of this disciple's situation. Um, some, due to cultural reasons, it's possible that this disciple was wanting to, leave, wanting to wait to leave town until his father died, which could have been months or years out. Or, like I kind of assumed when I first read this, that his father uh, was dead and the funeral was at hand. But regardless of the exact circumstances, Jesus' in, instruction was so controversial here because in Jewish culture... Honoring your parents is a close second to honoring God. It's, you know, honor God, honor your folks. And um, it was a massive social obligation for this disciple to fulfill his duty as a son and bury, properly bury his father. And this would have been something that was ingrained in him at a very early age, very early age. But Jesus told him, this is Jesus' response, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And a lot of translations, and this can very accurately be translated into follow me now. There was an immediacy to this. So why was this important? A couple things. First of all, because following Jesus takes priority over social obligations, even our most important obligations. And also, Jesus was placing himself over this disciple's duty to his parents, and by doing so, he was letting everyone know that he was to be honored as God. Again, we are seeing this authority piece that Pastor Nate talked about last week. It is carrying on right here, that Jesus has authority over these types of things as well. But there is one more thing that it is, it's so, this, this is where it's getting good, guys, okay? One more thing that is so important um, and I've, honestly, I've, I've missed it um, several times in reading this, but I want to draw it out. Jesus said, follow me now, not because he wanted to show him how to behave. Jesus could have sent him on his way with a list of instructions and said, oh yeah, you shouldn't miss that. It's important. But it's the reason why is because following Jesus is also about our proximity to him. It is about our nearness to Jesus, not just about making him a priority. Jesus is recorded as saying, follow me, about 30 times. And I think, as I just mentioned, that a lot of times I just, okay, that means i got to prioritize him. i got to put him first. Jesus did not care if this disciple went to his father's funeral or not. That is not the issue. The issue was the disciple's chance to be near to Jesus was more important than anything else. The chance to be near to Jesus. Your nearness to God matters more than anything else in your life. We don't have Jesus in the flesh, but we have his forgiveness and a way to 
him thanks to the cross, the work Jesus did on the cross. This allows us the access, but choosing to be near, choosing to follow and submit in every area to the authority of Jesus is a lifelong walk. Proximity matters. I'm going to kind of contrast proximity and priority for you so you can kind of really dive into what um, I mean by this. And it's not to say that, oh, we don't prioritize Jesus. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you guys not to prioritize. That's silly, right? But what I am inviting you to is that there is more. There is something that is even greater, and that is our nearness, our proximity to him. So when we prioritize something, we make a list, right? One, two, three, four. Who likes to make lists? Who likes to, to write something down you already did just for the satisfaction of checking it off? <laughs> Okay, thank you for laughing. Okay, so I used to think, you know, I've got strategic um, task management down, and then I married my husband. You guys know Rich, right? A lot of you know him. He's our executive director. He takes it to a whole new level. I am, like, pathetic, but I do like to write things down sometimes just for the size of it. Like, I already did the laundry. Check, check. Um, so anyway, but we write things down. We prioritize them to check them off. That does not work great for living relationships, right? You don't, I read my Bible today, check, not going to think about God at all the rest of the day. I'm not going to invite him or lean into him at all in any way, right? But with proximity, we become more aware of Jesus in every area of our life, in everything that's on that priority list. Amen? Priority can happen without connection. Um, for this, I'm going to use you again, honey, as an example. <laughs> uh, so he has this very intricate system of getting his stuff done, right? And I noticed one day I was looking at his little computer program he uses, it, and there's a tab with my name on it, right? So he has a little tab that's like, that he puts the things that he knows that he has, it's his responsibility to do, but that's really important to me. Isn't that sweet? It's very sweet, right? But if that's all he did was those tasks, oh, made sure he took out the trash on Tuesday night, does so much more than that, but that's just an example. But we didn't have that connection, that attentiveness. That is not a relationship. Nobody wants that kind of marriage. Nobody wants that kind of even friendship with a friend or with a parent, because proximity requires connection and attentiveness. Look, I want to look in your face. I want to tell you that I love you. I want to be close to you. I want to connect with you. Have you ever tried to go grocery shopping with a four-year-old? I do it every week, multiple times a week. And it's a kind of a sad day when you can't put them in the little cart anymore. You're like, oh, that containment, that precious containment. You guys know what I'm talking about. She, ever around kids, you don't have that. And um, I go to Trader Joe's a lot, so it's not too big, which is nice. And Jude, our youngest, he's four, it is like a part-time job getting that kid to say, to follow me. And so it's not just me that needs to kind of be aware of what he's doing, but I am trying to train him to be aware of where I am and just follow me. So it's like a little bit like this, hey, Jude, come on. Jude, follow me. Hey, Jude, come on. Come on, baby, be close to me. 
The issue isn't that I want to teach him how to shop for bargains, right? I want him to be next to me. I want him to be near to me for his own good. So proximity requires, I realize that I'm making myself like Jesus in this analogy. It's very awkward. But (laughs) proximity requires connection and attentiveness, not just on the Lord, but for us too. We have to be in tune to him. With priority, we are the ones making the list. With proximity, we are submitted to the leadership of Jesus, to the authority of Jesus, and he is the one who sets the agenda. With priority, it's about effectiveness, which is important. Again, this is a both-and thing. Effectiveness is beautiful. But with proximity, it's about nearness. While priority is necessary and will foster proximity, proximity is the goal. So when we prioritize things like spiritual disciplines, that is not for the sake of the discipline itself. Yay, I want to be awesome at fasting. No, actually, I don't. Like, I mean, (laughs) I do, but I don't. The point is to be near to God, to submit ourselves, to put down the flesh enough to tune our hearts, to tune our ears to who he is. Nearness with Jesus fosters that deep relationship our souls desire and need. The disciple who wanted to go to his father's um, funeral maybe wasn't even really aware of his own desperation to be near to Jesus, but Jesus knew it. His greatest good was to be near to him, to Jesus. Now, Jesus is not here in the flesh for us today. And being physically near to Jesus is obviously not possible. But because of the work Jesus did on the cross, that veil was torn, his presence is unleashed in the whole world, and that is why we have access to him. And nearness is available to every Christian in every time, in every with every single capacity, stage, level, no matter what season you're in, no matter what job you have, it is, we have to start with that assumption, it is possible. So I want to take the rest of our time here and talk a little bit about practice. Um, How do we walk this out? Because I get that it's pretty philosophical at this point. So first of all, I'm going to end with just one simple practice, but I want to kind of ramp up to that a little bit. For the Christian, worship, prayer, Bible study, and community will be lifelong pursuits. That is a part of it. And there's a mountain of books, some of them absolutely beautiful works, that have been written, sermons have been preached, songs have been written, on the topic of spiritual disciplines and growth that encourage us in things like service, um, silence, solitude, fasting. All of these things are worthy pursuits. So wherever you are at today, and I invite you to maybe have a conversation with the Lord about that, but wherever you are at today, I invite you, and really, it's more than I implore you, (laughs) I really do, 
to hike up that mountain a little bit further. Don't be overwhelmed because love takes time to grow. Don't be overwhelmed by, you know, Pastor Samuel Lamb and his cross that he had to carry and his burden and his sacrifice. And I'm, I'm really glad that Jesus didn't say, follow me to Gethsemane and Golgotha and the, the, uh, the tomb. He didn't say that. He just said, follow me, be near to me. And he allows love to grow and our ability to align ourselves to him to grow. He really does gently like draw us in, draw us closer. And ask, ask God for wisdom for the next set, step. Um, don't be overwhelmed. There's an awesome saying in Ethiopia, in the Ethiopian language, which we used to live there. Most of you probably know that by now. But um, it's kas bakas, and that's shortened Amharic little phrase for what can be translated into little by little the egg learns to walk. And I always love that because there's so much that happens between an egg learning to walk, right? And... Um, so don't be overwhelmed. You are, might not be called, willing, able to spend 20 years in a coal mine for your faith. We all have, Jesus said, take up your cross. It's unique to you. We have to take that up and follow him with that. So wherever you are today, hike up that mountain a little bit further. If you want to use the ocean further than that, go a little deeper. A mountain, whatever. Move in a direction. <laughs> to follow him more closely, to submit your heart on another level to him. So this simple practice that I want to share with you that has really uh, been something that has been life-changing for me for about the last four months. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I've been doing it for like 20 years, but I haven't. So my offering might be a, a little bit clumsy on this, but I'm going to call it Practice Jesus and Me. So, in other words, I didn't get up and take the kids to school. Jesus and I got up and we took the kids to school. I didn't meet with clients. Jesus and I met with clients, right? I didn't do the laundry. And neither did Jesus. <laughs> we just kind of threw it in a clean pile on the guest bed. That's what we did. He was with me, though. <laughs> this is a simple tool that aligns my heart to him. It's not a weird thing. It's not, I'm not referring to myself in the plural when I walk into a room. Hey, we're here. No, it's not like that. It's not, you know, I'm st I still have to take responsibility for my own actions, right? But it reminds me that I am not directing myself. I am not leading myself. I have submitted my life to follow Jesus. It tunes my thoughts and my actions and my attitudes. It gives all of those things the opportunity to submit to Jesus in my process, right? For me, um, when God speaks to me, I find that most of the time it's, I've never like heard his audible voice. You know, I mean, that would be awesome, but it's just, it hasn't happened to me probably has not happened to most of you. That's not common in our day. But I find that it's more he speaks to me by guiding my thoughts, and then a sense of revelation comes. Like, oh, yeah, that was, that was the Lord guiding me. 
So it's less about bringing Jesus into my situation, although that sounds great and beautiful and it's important, but it's more about making myself aware of the fact that he already has a plan and agenda and, if anything, just love that he wants to lavish on me as his daughter. It reminds me who I am submitted to, and it opens me up to what God might want to do in that moment. And I don't have time to recount about three really significant ways that that happened even just this week. It is beautiful. Give him the opportunity to weigh in on the specifics by turning your heart and your mind to him. You know, it's interesting, when we grow, you know, from a child, when we grow up, the idea of growing is that we grow into independence, right? You train a child to put on their own shoes and eat, eat, feed themselves and get rid of all these things. But with Jesus, it's, it's, it's the opposite. We grow in our dependence on him. It's almost counterintuitive. And growth in him is acknowledging Every hour I need you, every moment, I am dependent on you to understand the love that you have for me, to listen to what it is that you might want me to do in this situation, and to be aware about how my life is impacting those around me. In talking about nearness with God, Brother Lawrence said this, and I I just love this, there is no finesse about it. One has only to do it generously and simply. He's talking about following Jesus here. I love this. That's why I said don't be overwhelmed. Take it little by little. It will take time to understand how wide, how high, how deep the love of God really is. It takes time. And this is love we're talking about. It's not some strategy to be learned or conquered. There's so many of them kind of like pick one, pick another one. Jesus' love for us fueled his walk to the cross, with the cross to Golgotha. Let our response to be to follow in love, to follow closely in love. It's just a couple more thoughts. In keeping with our theme, empty to be filled, I my encouragement to you this morning is empty yourself of the tendency to self-lead and be filled with passion to follow Jesus. The cost will be great. At least it will feel great to you. Don't compare your cost to others. But in doing so, we submit to his authority But we don't just follow him to Gethsemane, Golgotha, and the tomb, right? We follow him in resurrection. And we know that now. We follow him in resurrection. It's coming in a couple weeks, guys. It's actually already happened. You know that too. But we follow him in that resurrection power. We're so lucky. (laughs) We're so blessed. And that's why we can say... Like it says in Psalms chapter 73, but as for me, it is good to be near God. It's worth it. It's worth the cost.
And this, I just want to say one more thing. This type of passionate nearness to Jesus will fill our reservoirs with godly strength and courage to fight injustice, to love others well, and to serve God. So as for me, it is good to be near God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the only one worthy of this kind of devotion and attention. Lord, tune our hearts. Tune our, our thoughts. Tune our wills to your authority, to your worth, to your value. Lord, we desire to have that kind of passion to follow you with everything. Lord, help us to realize how desperate we are for you. Lord, we, we desire an even greater understanding of who you are in every aspect of our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us this week. Lord, that you would give us grace this week to say, you know, it wasn't me who did that. It was Jesus and I. Lord, you have been so gracious to us. You did the heavy lifting of drawing near to us. Lord, tune our hearts, tune our ears, tune the eyes of our spirit to focus on you and be led by you. In your precious, precious name, amen.